Hey everyone. Hey y'all. Welcome, Welcome to, to The, the Ink. Ink, a podcast devoted to uncorking the comics, films, video games, and TV shows that make up all things geekdom. Especially as they both reflect and represent the rich colors of POC-centered and occasionally POC-adjacent narratives. Woo! Happy Woo. Star Wars week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're a couple of days from the 4th, so. Mm-hmm. But may the 4th be with you. Exactly. And with you. Let it and be known. With you. Yes, yes, yes. How are Follow you? Follow your Jedi traditions. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> I am doing well. Yeah, um, it's been a pretty good week so far. I have left the Q word behind me, and I am looking forward. Um, was it super shy, but pushing forward? Yes, Julia yeah, Morris. Definitely doing that. Uh, how about you? <laughs> I'm all right. Um, I feel like, you know, it's day 60 in quarantine, which feels pretty much like day two for me at this mm-hmm, point. Like, mm-hmm. I can't really tell the difference between when, who I was pre-COVID, who I am now during COVID. If you're always having an existential crisis. Is it really a crisis? There we go. <laughs> there we go. Um, I am really excited for our episode this week. Mm-hmm. We will be talking about Blood Quantum, which is this new uh, horror film that has an indigenous point of view, which I, which is honestly kind of new for the scene. Yeah. Um, then we're going to get into uh, Kipo in the Age of Wonder season two and Jordan Peele's uh, uh, property Lovecraft Country. Mm-hmm. And then for For the Culture, we're going to get into the tiny, tidy world of The Mandalorian Season 1. Yes, I am excited. All right. Well, before we do that, who are we cosplaying as today, dear? Yes, who are we cosplaying? Well, okay, so me, in um, in honor, I think we both kind of did this, in honor of May uh, the 4th mm-hmm. and Star Wars Day, I'll be cosplaying as Darth Vader. And though he is not technically a person of color, uh, his voice is. Yes. Uh, because <laughs> he is voiced by the uh, wonderful and uh, magnanimous James Earl Jones, mm-hmm. um, who also voiced Mufasa from um, the Disney animated Lion King movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And funny thing about this voice, um, in numerous interviews, James Earl Jones pointed out that uh, George Lucas always wanted something darker and he, he didn't mean it in terms of race, but rather in the tone of the voice of Darth Vader. So a little something with a little more bass than um, what <laughs> David Prose had in his tenor voice. And mm-hmm. David Prose is the, the physical actor of Darth Vader, mm-hmm. um, if you will. And depending on what you read or whatever interview you um, you watch or, or read, um, director George Lucas himself says that he was always planning on replacing the dialogue from um prose because prose has this real um english accent mm-hmm. i'm not sure what part of england it's from particularly but he definitely has an english accent and it didn't really fit the dark vader character so he was definitely planning on replacing it at some point so yeah, yeah james earl Jones was there and he was like run me my coin true i mean it wouldn't be i wouldn't be surprised if um james earl jones uh got a note that said can you make it a little bit more you know uh ethnic <laughs> maybe that was the first draft of the note but they decided yeah. to run him the uh, uh the note of it being darker right. a bit more bass like and and like though he is the voice of darth vader because mm-hmm. he was the first voice of darth vader he is not the only voice of darth vader we had hayden christensen yeah in, yeah uh the third episode and then um i think i think that was the only time that james earl jones uh voiced darth vader in the the film yeah, adaptation of that the, we know the of. film series because yeah the the um the second movie um was someone else yeah i believe yeah yeah 
Plus, I'm pretty sure they saved the note about it being more ethnic for their characterizations of Jar Jar Banks and some of the other characters as well. Ooh. They they have more to do with the note about making it more ethnic, so they saved and spared <laughs> James Earl Jones from that note. Uh, speaking of that note, <laughs> who are you cosplaying? So, <laughs> um, this week I'm cosplaying, uh, you know, really any character ever voiced by Chris Summer because surprisingly of all the characters out there that she voices, she does not voice Asajj Ventress. I know, right? So viewers, <laughs> LOL, this is me admitting that I am wrong, but in a more, uh, in a backwards way of doing what, that. You were wrong about a white alien? <laughs> White women would be the death of me. <laughs> um, yeah, I, for the longest time, thought that Asajj Ventress voice, or sorry, that Kree Summer voiced Asajj Ventress and the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. The voice is gritty. It is raspy. It is a lovely, you know, alto one, alto two, possibly. It's someone who's seen some shit. Thank so why you. And had to live through shit. So why Thank would it you. not be a black woman? <laughs> Thank you. But also, why would it not be Kree Summer? Because her voice carries that kind of tenor with yes. it. Yes, yes. But actually, Asaz Ventress is voiced by another prolific voice actress, Nika Futterman, who has worked on, frankly, just named the property and named the show, named the video game. She also sung background vocals. Like, she sang the theme song for um, My Gym Partner's a Monkey. My Gym Partner's a Monkey, 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 Monkey. Yeah, she apparently sang that in character. Yeah. So... All I'm saying is, Cree Summer, Nika Futterman, both of you have prolific voice acting yes. creds. Also, Talent. both of you are talented singers. She also sang as well. She was a voice of um, Catwoman, the singing voice of Catwoman in the musical episode of Batman, The Brave and the Bold. All right. And Cree Summer also had, a, I think still has, a rock band mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as well. So, you know, yeah. So, that is who I am. I contain multitudes. Yes. And I am multitudes. <laughs> This week for my cosplay. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Well, uh, let's get into coming down the pipe. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me uh, this week, the aforementioned blood quantum is what I plan on getting into. Mm-hmm. Um, so a little bit more about blood quantum. It is a present day zombie outbreak horror movie and it takes place on a First Nations reserve and is told from the point of view of indigenous people. Um, which means that it's not the regular old pet cemetery thing that we get from horror movies. It's not, you know, things that are buried on an Indian burial yeah. ground. This house was and built then, on sacred land, stuff like that. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's actually coming from a, a point of view that we rarely see in film in general and definitely um, is, is a very rare point of view um, in horror movies. Um, now, the writer, director, editor, and composer... <laughs> Because he likes to wear multiple hats. Because he lacks focus, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> right. Actually, this episode is just about talent. Because <laughs> everyone we've talked about so far is just really talented. Not ours, but theirs. But theirs. Living vicariously. Um, his name is uh, Jeff Barnaby. Um, and he was actually born on the uh, Mi'kmaq Reserve in Quebec. So you're getting a very authentic voice creating um, the story that is this movie. Uh, now, as the title refers to uh, Blood Quantum, this was a set of laws that were introduced in the 1930s to determine and define if a person's uh, Native, Amer- Native American identity was valid. Yeah, so I'm getting mm-hmm. a bit of a one-drop rule yep. vibes here. Yep, 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 mm-hmm. yep. Uh, and kind of one uh, figuring out what their uh, specific ancestry was based off of. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 
so I watched the trailer for this, which is out. So definitely go YouTube it, uh, Google it, check it out. And it's definitely one of those classic zombie horror movies uh, that we know and love. Uh-huh. Uh, you have lots of characters, maybe too many characters. Uh, I I, I kind of thought that way at first, but then I was like, you know, they're going to die anyway. I was going to say it's a zombie movie. Most of them are fodder. Literally yeah. for the plot and for the zombies. There has to be a lot of characters. Or, so. or if there wasn't a lot of characters, the main character would die automatically. Actually, could I feel like that would be an interesting <laughs> indie movie where it starts off with five characters and then the next 15 minutes, all of them die. And so you have one zombie a la, um, what is his name? Daniel Radcliffe in um, oh, The Swiss Army Man. Yeah. And he's just walking around looking for food a la The no. Lobster. That was made by A24. Fuck the lobster. I want to end that. <clears throat> Screw the lobster. Um, <laughs> no, I'm thinking of, what was the name of that movie? Uh, it was uh, it was like a it was a zombie take on Romeo and Juliet. Oh, it was it. I think it actually was like Romeo. I think it was like zombie Romeo and Juliet. I know they had a zombie version of Pride and Prejudice or some Jane yeah, Austen novel. It was it was something like that. But you thought they had played it up as like the main character was this this guy that was going out and foraging mm-hmm. and then he dies and then the main character ends up being the zombie who ate his brain and is therefore kind of living yes exactly his memories yeah that sort of thing that would be cool but yeah blood quantum lots of different characters lots of different personalities there lots of different driving forces that kind of and they kind of end up getting stuck together um it's very dawn of the dead circa 2005 uh but kind of with added elements of race and ethnicity and belonging three of my favorite topics Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. you'll love it you're gonna love it i'm excited yeah Mm -hmm. um overall there's just a lot of blood and gore if you're fans of those large neck gashes with tubes of blood kind of like spurting out and arterial spray yes Mm. you're gonna love this you're gonna eat it up um (laughs) there's also a bunch of stupid decisions that lead to horrible outcomes uh trump and there's also going to be a lot of nuance to this film because okay. of kind of what we said like before with the with the whole uh, race, ethnicity, belonging, um, being told from a um, indigenous uh, people's point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, it's streaming right now on Shutter, which is this horror movie specific uh, streaming service that AMC Networks just bought. Not Either they just bought ago, or they own, but there was something. Either way, it's on Shutter. Go yeah, look it up. Shutter yeah. also has a phenomenal catalog of horror movies. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's me. How about you? So, what I am going to get ready to jump into is well, one this entire uh, behind the scenes featurette of The Mandalorian season one called Disney's Gallery: The Mandalorian, and it is an eight episode behind the scenes featurette that explores the making of season one from different perspectives. So talking about the impact of the Star Wars universe um, just in general, but also how that informed the making of season one. Mm -hmm. Um, The cast talks about adopting these characters. The uh, production crew talks about developing a new tech to film this, a new kind of filmmaking. Um, Hopefully they go in talking about Baby Yoda because that was interesting, but I feel like that might have been just generic puppetry. Either I way, was going to say, yeah, give us a little bit about the puppet super aspect excited. Of, of, uh, of the child. Yes, the <laughs> child. But also they have a director's round table and guess what, bitches? That's what I'm here for. That's episode one. Oh, great. So, so I don't need to look at the rest. I, damn it. For the very reason I talked about. 
Yes. We're going to watch the entire thing, but definitely episode one. I'm super excited about it because The Mandalorian season one has a shit ton of directors on it. We'll talk about that more in For the Culture, but mm. I am super intrigued about how this... Uh, also a cast of seven people came together and lent yeah. their directorial vision to this amazing um, season one. So super excited to see that and also super excited to see what lessons I can possibly glean from them mm-hmm. as someone that, you know, just thought about putting on his directorial hat. Possibly, you know. Just a hat in general. 2085. Yeah. Rude. <laughs> I mean, so I, I will give props to- You know we out here looking rough in these streets because of quarantine. <laughs> no haircuts anywhere uh i will give a give um props and kudos to disney plus because i think they do release a lot of behind the scenes footage for uh properties that they own and things that they produce uh and that's really interesting and you know it's kind of there to kind of help other people a new generation of creators yeah so i like that it's funny because as you say that i first thought of disney going to other studios and other networks looking at them <laughs> look how poor you are <laughs> That was before. Welcome quarantine. to my house. <laughs> I have avocado. That was exactly what I thought. Bananas. <laughs> so it was like, look at all the things you two could have if you were running a virtual monopoly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> On television and movie production. Uh, but the mouse would get you, so let me shut up. Yeah, and we'll I guess we'll just fancy ourselves on over into newsreel. Why don't we? Fancy away. Let's do it. Uh, So the first thing we're going to talk about is DreamWorks uh, Kippo and the Age of Wonder Beast Season 2. It is going to be coming to Netflix this summer. And I am honestly, I'm so excited. Uh, This is probably one of the best things I've heard since this whole COVID-19 quarantine kerfuffle. Well, that and Chipotle extending their non-delivery fees. And paying their employees more. Yes, Yes, true. yes, that as well. Mm-hmm. Because Lord knows I've been ordering from them a lot. Um, But yeah, I love this show so much. We love this show so much. Not only because of the beautiful animation, not only because of all of the different um like interesting aspects that they put into it with uh with the world building and the lore oh yeah the world building is something yes but this show also portrays so many different types of people um specifically two of the main characters are black one being this 13 year old 14 year old ish uh boy named benson who comes out as gay to kippo um in an episode and it's amazingly done Mm -hmm. um and kind of one of the first times i've seen it done that well in children's animated programming, I and, guess. Yeah, and I really think it's a recognition that Gen Z has a different take. I wouldn't say more evolved, but sure, more evolved view on sexuality. Um, not always nuanced. Right. It doesn't often go beyond just, you know, yeah, this is my, uh, my friend is gay, at least in, in TV and in movies. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's definitely representative of the times that we're in, particularly of this new generation and their different views on sexuality. For sure, for sure. Um, and then there's Kipo, the main character, um, who herself is mixed race. She's black and Korean, mm-hmm. but she also has a little bit of mutant DNA in her, which is a, a huge focus um, and plot device in the first season. Uh, can't really say spoiler alert because it's been a while, um, but it, it 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 kind of 
plays into the story and, and it's a very interesting kind of twist to see what happens there. Yeah. Um, but the series also has a lot of wonderful themes um, about family and then belonging, masculinity. Just overall gender roles. Yes. And, yeah, and mm-hmm. how it plays into and fucks around with gender norms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's nature versus nurture. And there's also a lot of hard science yeah added into the narrative whether that's astronomy or physics or chemistry that's in there as well and definitely zoology i was gonna say that yeah (laughs) definitely the wonder beast i wonder what that they would talk about zoology i love it that was the hook that got me Mm -hmm. um now the first season premiered back in january of this year which if you ask me just doesn't make any sense because it's it feels like it's been yeah a year two years at least since the show has i come mean out. we've had like eight events happen to us <laughs> yes both personally as well as collectively as a people oh yeah since january each month has been a, a complete yes year, exactly a complete year um but uh the first season kind of begins the story of kippa oak who is this 13 year old girl who was searching for her lost father after she had been forced out of this underground city and settlement and up to the surface surface of the world which is now populated by these things called mutes which are mutant animals and other beings that have um, kind of gained the ability to talk and function they've adapted essentially they've adapted (laughs) Um, now some of these are very small, some of them are human size, and then there are the ones that are as big as mountains that you Don't have to- Don't they call them like megamutes or something yeah, like mega that? Mutes, yeah, megamutes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a bunny with like as many legs as a tractor trailer would have. Yes. Or a, a pack of dogs that are just kind of like playing around with each other, but- causes earthquakes and and there like what's that. so funny is that they're not even like anthropomorphized dogs or anything that is different than what they are now it's literally just the corgi a literal yeah. corgi yeah now the size of mount st Helens. yes <laughs> sorry size vexes me yeah but yes um, Which is kind of cute, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but while she's trying, yeah, because they were all pretty small dogs, except for the one that's kind of literally a Rottweiler. Yes, yes. But everything else was like a lap dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But while she's dodging all of these things, um, she ends up meeting these new friends uh, and companions. So there's Wolf, uh, then there's Mandu, which is this little pig uh, mute, and then there's Benson, which is the which is the boy that I uh, was talking about earlier, and then Dave, who's this. Um, talking useless <laughs> um, he's not useless he is selectively useful he he is uh, he's definitely comic relief but yes yes, yes. selectively use yes. selectively useful is definitely a good word for it but he's this kind of mutant rhinoceros beetle that ages very fast mm-hmm. um and then instead of dying he ages back to the pupa stage mm-hmm. and and the grub stage and then ages all over again. And if you're like me and you conjured up an image of a rhinoceros and a beetle having a baby, no, it is a rhinoceros beetle. That's yes, a real thing. that is a real but thing. But in this TV show, it is anthropomorphized. Yes, definitely that. Yes. Um, so they're all with uh, Kipo as she is searching for her father and trying to find him. Uh, now, as for season two, which is where we are now, or where we will be this summer, um, DreamWorks gave a plot description, uh, and that reads, <clears throat> <laughs> All is not well on the surface. With the borough people under Scarlamane's mind control and her father his prisoner, his prisoner, Kipo must quickly learn to master her newly discovered mute abilities in order to save them. 
As she and her friends split up on a dangerous rescue mission, Kipo's journey of self-discovery unearths mysteries of the past that change everything she thought she knew. Yes. Now, Scarlamane Her is, daddy and her daddy. Her daddy and her daddy. Scarlamane <laughs> You know that's is, what it is. <laughs> um, is this mute mandrill. Not yes. Mandrake, as Nehemiah was saying earlier. Wow. Um, <laughs> that is pretty much the big bad of the series. And Scarlamane's definitely one of the characters that brings the whole masculinity versus femininity yeah. theme into, into play. What's interesting is also that he feels a bit like a uh, a parody character of um, of the central characters in Rise to the Planet of the Apes. So when you do yes. have this one monkey or one ape that comes to like sentience mm-hmm. or he's already sentient but mm-hmm. has like hyper intelligent hyper evolved so on and so forth yeah rather than him being like this beat your chest type hyper masculine figure he's actually a, a a monkey monkey yeah because he's a monkey that's fascinated by victorian english dress yes he's supposed to be like this renaissance man yes this english playwright type of character yes and he uses pheromones to control humans and t- to do his bidding. Yes, yes. Yeah. So it's a very interesting character. It's a very interesting um, dynamic that's created there. But uh, if you have seen the first season, kudos to you. Um, DreamWorks has also confirmed that Kira Lehman and James Cartwright will be back for season two um, to do the soundtrack okay. for season two. Uh, now, the music that they put in season one was dope. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed all of it. Uh, and if they're going to continue on into season two, I say yes. Mm-hmm. Yes and. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, it will be coming out on June 12th. And we're going to get another 10 episodes. Only 30 minutes each, unfortunately. <laughs> I wish they were like an hour long each. But you know what? I will take what I no, can ma'am. get. No, ma'am. They are, produ- they are out here producing Disney shorts. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I, I'm looking forward to it and I hope you all are too. Mm-hmm. Next, we um, are going to get into uh, Jordan Hath... What? Hawthorne? Hawthworth? Why, is, Hawthworth. why is that his middle name? Hayworth. Hayworth. And why can't we pronounce Hayworth? I don't know. Jordan anyway, Hayworth Peel. Jordan Hayworth Peel, right, yes. Um, this brilliant guy, this brilliant guy. So in the past couple of weeks, we've received uh, news about a, a few, a, a couple of his properties that he's working on. Um, the first is H- the HBO series uh, Lovecraft Country, mm-hmm. which we got our first official teaser of. And I am like, yes, that's it. That's all. Yes. Yeah. Sign me up. Uh, it looks beautiful. It looks well done. It looks uh, tantalizing. I can't wait to watch <laughs> Tant- it. <laughs> tantalizing, scintillating, yes. titillating, titillating, titillating. You know, new words today. Yeah. Scintillating. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I too work in publishing. <laughs> Shut up. Mm-hmm. Um, so the series Love Country. Uh, it's based on the novel of the same name, and it's also going to be created by Misha Green and J.J. Abrams, two huge sci-fi alums. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to be led by Journey Smollett-Bell and Jonathan Majors, who are two beautiful actors um, that that have been in multiple, multiple things. Yeah, we don't <laughs> need to read you their IMDb. Right. You got mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but the series follows Atticus Freeman, who uh, is played by Majors, mm-hmm. um, as he joins up with his friend Letitia, 
who's played by uh, Smollett Bell, and his uncle George, played by Courtney B. Vance, mm-hmm. uh, to embark on this road trip across 1950s Jim Crow America in search of his missing father. Mm-hmm. Now, this begins a struggle of survival, um, and they have to overcome both uh, racist terrors of white America, and then these terrifying uh, eldritch horror monsters uh, that could pretty much rip them limb from limb. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and all the bad things Com- you can imagine. Completely devour them. It's interesting because this definitely feels like a classic tale of you know who is the real monster here, the actual monsters or humanity and and all their ills, which I'm always down to explore because humans are fucking monsters. Uh, (laughs) Actual, yes. So um, I'm excited for that. Also, the way that the trailer has it staged, it makes it seem as if the the big back really is Mm -hmm. American racism. Yeah. And it just happens to happen against the backdrop Mm -hmm. (laughs) of these monsters. Which brings questions to my mind, like, are the monsters actually the human? Well, in the, in in the sense of yes, but in the sense of do the humans turn into monsters? You know, and yeah. are they one and the same? Um, also, it's like this really cool setting, um, and you know how Jordan Peele loves to take an old song, put a new dark twisty spin to it that makes you wonder what his therapist it, thinks. <laughs> yes, and put it in a trailer. Um, that's done again, and it is chef's kiss. It's terrifying. <laughs> mm-hmm, for sure. Utterly terrifying. <laughs> for sure. Mm-hmm. Now, for um, all those people out there who were expecting, when they first saw Lovecraft Country come up um, and be talked about um, or be listed on sites, and they were like, oh, awesome, about time we get a H.P. Lovecraft um, classic eldritch horror show. Yeah. Or whatever, sit down. Go read a go read a book. There are plenty of stories out there, and even though I would love to have that, you know, this is something. Yeah. With its, I mean, didn't a movie come out recently about that was I think uh, a modern retelling of an H.P. Lovecraft uh, book? It's about when uh, an alien comes down via meteorite, plants itself into the earth, and turns everything purple. I mean, that happened in Steven Universe, Steven Universe movie. <laughs> Could you imagine if Steven Universe actually was an H.P. Lovecraft story? Uh, it would not be nearly as queer and feature the N-word far more prominently. <laughs> Probably, <laughs> yes. Um, yes. But either way, you're right. Like, yeah, the, the books are still there. I'm sure there is tons of fiction out there that is either a literal adaptation of one of his books or mm-hmm. inspired by one of his books. Let us have ours. Yes, please. Especially because H.P. Lovecraft, uh, Craft, his work is like drenched in racism. So I feel like this exploration of American racism through the themes and monsters Mm -hmm. of H.P. Lovecraft is absolutely perfect. Yes, yes. Now, um, Lovecraft Country uh, has a shitload of magical realism flowing through it. (laughs) Just... Just what you said, um, turning the world purple. Just think of that, but magical realism... I mean, I'm I'm here for it all. Look, it features two of my favorite things: Southern Gothic, yes, themes, and like not really a, a favorite thing. This is particularly niche and specific. But I didn't realize that one of like one of my kinks mm. is apparently magical juke joints. Oh, because okay. I felt something when I saw that scene. It it is so interesting the way that he is going to really explore openly the interconnection of Southern culture and magic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I am down for it completely. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean. Um... I, no, I love it. Give me some Spanish moss. 
give me like an old jukebox in a in a sweaty yes um humid bar slash dance hall where there's just a bunch of people in their um sunday gown like sunday church <laughs> church clothes you know just kind of like trying Dude, to i have off, a movie for you the color purple. i know exactly I, exactly right um but i was that's literally what i was thinking of the color purple i was thinking of idlewild i was thinking of idlewild is um, all right uh-huh. beautiful creatures like yeah. you were mentioning well, you, earlier. Well, you know what? Amy Rossum and, and Emma Thompson are the only ones who should be allowed to have fun with this, goddammit. <laughs> Despite Emma Thompson's very shitty Southern accent. But, you know, we all fall short of the glory of God. Speaking of Southern sayings. And so did her twin. <laughs> yes. So did her twin. Yes. Uh, now, so that is Lovecraft uh, Country. We can expect to see it this year around August, mm-hmm. I believe. Hopefully that stands and we will. it will actually premiere. I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm sure the production is wrapped. I'm sure if they, like, of course the production is wrapped, but I'm sure everything is kind of tied and with a with a nice bow so i mean it'll have to definitely last us to get through uh the break between this and um american horror story well yeah but i was just meaning like i hope it doesn't get delayed because of um because of uh corbin oh, yeah. coronavirus stuff you mm-hmm. know so fingers crossed pray all that kind of stuff um, the other thing we were going to talk about is, uh, season two of The Twilight Zone. Jordan Peele's other venture mm-hmm. is coming out on CBS All Access this summer. So he is just going to be the summer of Peele. Yeah. Honestly. Uh, now season two of The Twilight Zone will feature 10 episodes, just like season one. And this season we're going to get the lights of Natalie Martinez. We're going to get Joel McHale, who you might know from Community. Mm-hmm. Um, or being that really annoying guy on The Masked Singer. <laughs> or no. RuPaul's Drag Race. I was going to sing on Drag Race and Michelle Visage. Yes. Yeah! <laughs> yeah! Yeah, sports ball. Um, there, we're also getting Chris Maloney. And his buns. <laughs> uh, Journey Smollett-Bell is also going to be in this. So mm-hmm. she, uh, I feel like she is the Helena Bonham Carter minus the marriage to Jordan, oh. Jordan Peele. <laughs> and in this situation, Jordan Peele is yes. um, Dan, not Danny Elfman. Um, gosh, his name. But Danny Elfman is also involved in that. He's the composer that always works with, um, I almost said Stephen King. What does you that mean? Johnny his name? Depp? No, Danny Elfman is the composer. D- no, I know, but were you talking about Johnny Depp or Tim Burton? Tim Burton. Tim so, Burton. Okay. like, holy, that unholy trinity is Johnny Depp, Tim Burton, and mm. Helena Bottom Carter. And mm-hmm. I'm saying that a fourth node in that weird Devil's Network. Oh, is Danny Elfman. Is Danny Elfman. Cool, cool. Gotcha, gotcha. I see. Mm-hmm. Well, we're also getting Billy Porter. <laughs> yes. Who I know you love. Oh, completely. And... I mean, I feel like he and I are not one of the same, but definitely related and my mama hasn't told me yet i can see it y'all look alike very true i doubt he was the person in that car in the at the prince concert with your mama you never know but hooch is differently <laughs> hooch hits differently so yes you never know <laughs> um and then we're also gonna get damon waynes jr and that's only a couple of the people there are a lot of people that are gonna be in this season and i can only imagine that it's going to be a great season i know season one was what were your thoughts on season one season one was really really good um we only watched i think maybe six or so five or so episodes because we don't have cbs all access so we had to watch some through other means it Mm kind of got lost in where Mm -hmm. we were Mm -hmm. um but the ones that we did watch definitely the first episode with come on uh, come on on johnny and uh 
Tracy Morgan and dealing with the yes. like stand up comment, what it means to put yourself out on the stage for consumption. Yeah, that was good. And to have that kind of power. Mm-hmm. Um, it was great to see Kamal back when I could, um, back when I could really like see myself in him because like oh now that he's jacked now that he's jacked i'm just like wow so you're just gonna be one of those people girl he had money (laughs) why did you ever see yourself in him um but yeah that was a really good episode it was a little i could i could kind of see where it was going so it wasn't like Mm -hmm. super surprising and everything but it was good and then also the episode with um the episode that really shook me was the one with uh, Sanaa Lathan uh, with the <sighs> video camera that allowed her to go back in time. That was the strongest episode of the season and the hardest to watch, especially talking about that now with yet another death of yep, a black man. Death. Exactly. Yeah, at the hands of the police. Um, yeah. But that is definitely a really, really strong episode. And you can really tell that this was the perfect um, combination of Mm -hmm. great on-screen performances, strong-ass writing, and a phenomenal directorial vision. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Speaking of um, a lot of episodes with the different directors, yet they kind of stayed on a through line for tone and um, making a season... Mm Mm-hmm kind of feel like a full season mm-hmm. i guess that if, if, if that makes sense yeah yeah to make it coherent mm-hmm. one might say mm-hmm. the mandalorian did that as well indeed 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 so let's uh let's get into for the culture sure all right for the culture So, for the culture, well, one, happy belated Star Wars Day. Happy belated Star Once Wars. Once again. May the 4th be with you. Yes. <laughs> and may the, um, what are the other ones? Revenge happy, of the 6th. Yeah, happy and, Revenge of the 6th. And the 7th day. And Revenge of the 7th day. I feel like there should also be one for Grey Jedi, who believe that um, there's both light and darkness, and you have to embrace both. I agree, but the only thing about that is people would have to read. Trying to find the problem. <laughs> we should be doing that now. There is space and opportunity. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, once again, I completely agree. Our uh, very, very, very specific uh, knowledge of that particular sect of the lore. I mean, it's just like the Lantern Corpse. <laughs> very know? true. No, I was just going to say the that Lantern don't corpse. let... Who says corpse? The Lantern Corps. Yes, yes. I was going to say, don't let that fool you. We are not like the most ardent observers. <laughs> of the day but we decided to celebrate a bit this year um cheaply because i really feel like the star wars universe kind of has something for everyone it really does um, or just, it has grown to have something for everyone. exactly even if you just look at the cinematic universe so you have the original trilogy which we're about two-thirds the way done with um we still have to watch um the rest of episode five and episode six no. Of the original trilogy? Just episode... Yeah, you're right. Yeah, because we couldn't... Our, uh, the version, the uh, screener, as they say in the business, because we didn't we don't have one, but yeah. yeah. The screener. The screener, um, it was cracked. Yeah, wasn't working. Uh, it was... The link was faulty. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll take it up with the Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, the prequel trilogy, you have that, which we've completely finished. That's like from our childhood, so... There's yes. that. <laughs> Where Obi-Wan wasn't shit and Anakin wasn't Where Obi-Wan shit. Obi-Wan wasn't shit. I mean, honestly, no. Obi-Wan was just too trusting. 
he was just naive. And I'm like, you are literally a Jedi. Ma- Everyone, all the Jedi masters were naive. Yes, factual, factual. Even looking back, even Yoda was naive. He was just old. He was. He was. He he no, had moved past no, the no, baby no, no, stage. No, 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 no. no, 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 no. <laughs> he is fine because he lived on a while after that. Very true. Um, and then you have the sequel trilogy, which we're about. I would say also two thirds of the way through. I mean, we finished, we saw the first two episodes, seven and eight. Episode nine, you saw. I have seen, yes. Um, I tried I have last thoughts, night. But until you finish, <laughs> I will keep those thoughts to myself. You might as well share them. Girl, p- publish a thesis because I'm not going to finish that movie. Palpatine? <laughs> really? So that's what we're doing? Palpatine. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's a story. We will save that for a future for the country episode. Um, but we also have, you know, those super popular and honestly, in my opinion, more tolerable, uh, Star Wars, The Clone Wars. Yes. So. And that one you've seen more than I have. Definitely. I've been going through, because we have Disney Plus now, I've been looking at some of the best episodes of that to get a sense of the world and all that jazz. Mm -hmm. But to celebrate, we decided not to finish the cinematic universe or talk about Star Wars, the Clone Wars, because it's been on since 2008. It's a little long. Seven seasons. Girl, we can't do this in 20 minutes in seven seasons. No. Mm-mm. Can't do that. <laughs> so we decided to go with its more scaled down brother, Disney's The Mandalorian. Yes. Because it's super contained and also. Taika Waititi. Sure. Taika with daddy. Sure. <laughs> Taika my father. <laughs> we were intrigued by what this tiny world. <laughs> Taika me to dinner. <laughs> what this tiny world had to say about the larger um, universe at large. So um, yeah, today we're chatting about the tiny tidy world of the Mandalorian season one and how instrumental to that aren't just creators that look like what you would consider to be the typical Star Wars person cisgendered white men (laughs) right exactly but a diverse array of people of color so let's get into it Mm. like i said we chose the mandalorian because it was smaller but i want to dig a little bit deeper into why we chose and also our first thoughts around it Mm -hmm. um mike okay so for me um what did you think (laughs) <laughs> sorry i cut you off yes please ask Literally, me you a, have thoughts ask me a question <laughs> what did you think you were going to get <laughs> when you first watched season one of the mandalorian um so for one and i don't think we discussed this before but i definitely just popped in my head i thought i was gonna get more than eight episodes I did not think so. I thought it was going to be at least like 10 or 13. You know, seasons kind of have, a good number. Seasons have those numbers that they like to, to, to go with. Um, there are reasons why. But um, yeah, I was like, eight episodes? What is this? But then I was like, oh, it's Disney Plus. They're still getting their footing. They're, you know, and it it's Disney. So they I figured they know what they're doing. Uh-huh. Um, they're not going to put extra time into something that doesn't need extra time. Their player says otherwise, that streaming player. Yeah, that's true. They got to get that together. <laughs> but, um... Good God, else? girl, get a grip. <laughs> right. Get some, get some, uh, playback. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but what I also expected this series to be was going to be all about Baby Yoda. Mm-hmm. And when I say Baby Yoda, I mean... Yoda as a baby, <laughs> not the child, which is actually the character in the series. Um, and I blame this on all y'all. 
the internet. <laughs> I blame this on the internet. Y'all told her that she was Baby Yoda. Yes, that, yes. That is not um, who she is. But uh, I also thought that this series gonna was going to probably be episodic. Yeah. Um, very much of a monster of the week. Something with no um, strong through line for the plot. Um, and I was very happy to see that that was not the case. So I too thought Baby Yoda was in fact Baby Yoda. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was going to forgive the continuity error because that's my business. <laughs> that's your business. Um, but for me actually, what I really thought I was going to get was a very slow, protracted, prestige take on a space opera. And what I mean by that is that I thought, yes, it was going to be like, you know, 10 episodes, eight episodes, but I thought it was going to be this like, slug slog mm -hmm. of, of a journey for me it's like going through watching episode after episode of it being particularly dark because yeah. what i also expected was to not like it because it did not have the jedi and some of the visual spec uh spectacle of the cinematic series or of clone wars yes. and i'm someone that came to star wars via clone wars mm -hmm. and so in particular the 2003 Cartoon Network, uh, like, 15-minute shorts. Oh, gee. Where you had Mace Windu just running around in, in the, like, the dunes of... It looks like uh, Tatooine, but I don't think it is. Mm -hmm. But just wandering around using the forest with... Jakku. The, the utmost. Yeah, just out of note. Like, <laughs> if if he would have used that force against Palpatine, he would still be alive here That's today. all I'm saying. They're right. Like, he, he actually could have been at the picnic. Yeah. At the barbecue. You know? That's all I'm saying. Right. So, Instead of being the barbecue. Yes. But that's also yeah. interesting because I think that a lot of people um, either came into it knowing that there would not be Jedi there, but also some folks might have hoped they would have gotten a glimpse of a Jedi. What do you think of it not being Jedi-centric? No, I'm very much... I, I I share in the fact that I was surprised that there was no that there were no Jedi there. Um, I think the series for so long has been at least with the Skywalker saga, it's about the Skywalkers. The Skywalkers are Jedi. They have a strong tie to the Force. Um, yeah. So being that that was the only thing that I really saw, and the Clone Wars are a part of that. Um, I thought it was going to be about Jedi. I, was I like, agree, yeah. The series Star Wars is about Jedi and the Sith. Well, but like, mm -hmm. thinking about it, throughout those series, they've come in contact with so many different planets, so many different systems, so many different cultures, so many different um, sects and orders. Like, there's, it only makes sense there are so many other stories out there that do not involve these religious groups which yeah. are the jedi and the sith you mm -hmm. know um so yeah it only makes sense that this exists and i'm i enjoyed it i really loved it i would definitely agree with you and one thing that i think is interesting to both remember and to name is the fact that all these other species and all these other sects and orders mm -hmm. were all pawns in the game that was Jedi versus the Sith. So yeah, I yeah. think even if you thought that you possibly could see something beyond just Jedi and Sith and that and that ever going conflict, seeing them not as pawns in this larger game was interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, granted, the backdrop for the Mandalorian season one is the downfall of um, the uh, Imperial Order. The Empire, yeah. sorry. The Empire, sure, that's the backdrop, but I thought there were going to be more Jedi. Because, you know, you see, sure, a Mandalorian or or you see the cantina and sure it has, you know, a various like menagerie of species mm -hmm. and creatures, mm -hmm. but in walks 
a Jedi or in walks Jedi adjacent. Right, right. Or so at least in the background. Yeah. At least we see the hilt or something. But yeah, nothing there. But for all these episodes. But when you think about it, it makes sense. They, d- the Sith murdered all of the Jedi in one action. Order and it fucking sixty six. And bitch. it wasn't even like it was thousands of them. It was only like a hundred or so if if even like a few hundred jedi and then when you look at the sith it's about the same amount of um i guess force wielding sith out there yeah so this isn't a huge group this wasn't like a huge group of people from the begin with they just had this was just a small group of people with a lot of freaking power yeah um so what else is what is everyone else doing agreed in their daily lives now we know there are bounty hunters, there are bartenders, there are soldiers, there are farmers. There, and you know? particularly, um, John John Favreau concentrated that exploration within the context of what happens after. Um, we'll have, I guess, what happens in between mm-hmm. uh, the fall of the empire and then also the rise of the first order. Yeah. So, which is nice. Yeah, it was. I think it was a great idea um, to place it where they did. Yeah. Um, because it also it's a good way to bridge the old and the new mm-hmm. and what and, and not the way that they tried to do which was the prequel trilogy which yes. was not a great thing but anyways well speaking of placing things one thing that you and i both marveled at was how it was so tight and tidy mm-hmm. um yet still yet told a complete story arc with a degree of concision that i rarely see with these kind of properties yes to be perfectly honest with you but I don't think this should be taken as a given uh, or not or looked at as if, you know, this is kind of obvious. I feel like there were some moments where I kind of cringed at what I thought was going to be uh, inevitable crashes. Like, for instance, the fact that they had so many goddamn directors. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like, yeah. I, I really thought one of the obstacles they were going to have to get over was going to be the fact that, you know, you had a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And the dynamics of that are, to me wild as fuck for one like you had varied experience directing uh both in terms of years genres big screen versus small screen mm-hmm. you had someone like um Bryce Dallas Howard uh you had a uh, Fumuyima who directed two of the ep- uh, one of the episodes who had like 25 years of experience <laughs> but also you're talking about various approaches Bryce was like my father. <laughs> my father my father my father my father <laughs> but also who but still has like her own directorial vision as well yes i read this interview where um john favreau like went at her as a director and also gave her a full episode because he wanted to toss her in and see what she could do that's great so yeah also nepotism <laughs> A little bit. Uh, <laughs> but within that, you also had different approaches to directing. So you have Deborah Chow, um, who directed episodes three and seven, which to me is not surprising because she is known for squeezing everything out of the cast, the story, the production crew, all of it. And, mm-hmm. and it just so happens that she directed episode three, which is like, in my opinion, the end of act one yes. of the season. Where where um, that was when Mando um, makes a choice to like take the baby yes. and try to leave. Yes. And the rest of the Mandalorian arise from the covert, is what they called it instead of convent, which I thought was hilarious. The covert, and they all like help him fight all the bounty hunters. He has to get out. I think it's interesting that she directed the two probably most action action packed episodes. I am not. Or wait, you say interesting? Yeah. Oh sorry, I thought you said something different. No, yes. I think it's interesting. Um, yeah, because I, when I think about it, I'm thinking like, oh, episode three was when Mando uh, or uh, Din Jaren had the shootout where he was literally um, 
freaking blasting away other um, bounty hunters. And then all the other Mandalorians came in and mm-hmm. they were fighting along with him. So it was a huge gunfight. And then episode seven was when... Um, episode seven is when he, first Moth, of all... Moff Gideon. Moff Gideon appears, and yep. the stormtroopers and the snippet of the First Order that we saw came in and kind of cornered them in that one little bar area and there was some like there was some gun fight stuff going on there um so yeah interesting well i think it mirrors the fact like i was saying before she definitely is someone that goes in and likes to tell a very nuanced story and Mm -hmm. part of that nuance especially within the world that jean favreau and dave feline's writing built it was a space for her to really just go in and um Kind of play around in a very confined space, which I loved. She killed Quinn. And? <laughs> no, she didn't. Yes, she did. Who was Quinn? Not Quinn. Um, no, she didn't kill Quinn. She killed Cruel. Yeah, she did. She did. No. For the good of the script. Not cruel. For the good of the story. The, the show must go on. <laughs> Don't cling to life so, <laughs> so strongly. Um, but then you also like have her approach versus Taika Waititi in episode 8 which spends like 15 or so minutes or it feels like 15 minutes in the first beginning with this like weird comedic scene between the two stormtroopers. It's definitely a script that's written by or or something that's being directed by uh, Taika Waititi. Well, I was reading about how he really looked to stand up and the visual scenes for helping him determine what he wanted to do with episode eight. Mm-hmm. So you have these two very different approaches that are all somehow supposed to tell um, the end, but also just all the directors tell this coherent story. And I feel like the key to all of that was really the strong vision of John Favreau, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about later on, and the fact that he had this amazing writing partnership with Dave Filoni. And Dave Filoni has worked on five plus Star Wars properties. So, so he, knows his, he knows his stuff. You have the two best building materials. You have someone who is resolute in what their vision is mm-hmm. and someone who has just a strong, damn near encyclopedic knowledge of the lore. I feel like he knows about the Grey Jedi. He doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like he's a, uh, he's probably a big She pro- knows about <laughs> the Frisk Grenades. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So are you. Those the... Yes. They are. Yes, the, they are. The Dior boots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's really a Fritz Bernays, ladies. No competition. My mom <laughs> All these references. All the references. If, in, in the words of one of my favorite, well, one of my favorite podcasts, All Right, Mary, if we don't make these references, we lose these references. True. But yeah, like you, you really do have the marriage between uh, Favreau's strong, uh, uh, strong vision as the creator behind it and Dave Filoni's strong writing matched with his... Um, his knowledge of the property mm-hmm. like that created a very solid uh playground for the children to have fun in yes so but yeah what do you think were some of the obstacles the show had to avoid to tell a story in such a tidy way uh personally i thought they had a lot of obstacles um <laughs> <laughs> but i'm not saying these are very important obstacles or well, obstacles before you start out i'm Obstacles in the sense of like things uh, that could have stopped them from telling a good story. Not obstacles that like the, sh- the season one was bad. Just a spoiler alert. Yes. Bad framing on my no. part of the question, but yes. Right, because season one was great. But um, as you were saying, small obstacles. Um, so first, I thought that since it was so, as we keep saying, um, tiny and tidy, um, I wasn't sure if all the characters that were going to be introduced and that did it get introduced would have enough time to be fleshed out. 
mm-hmm. on screen mm-hmm. and in season one. Like, it's one thing for a character's arc to start in one season and for it to kind of grow and develop over the, the multitude of the series or the extent of the series. But if someone's going to pop up in one conversation and then we don't see them until, like, in, say that's in episode three of season one, and then we don't see them again until episode seven of season two. Mm-hmm. It's like, and you expect me to, like, feel something for that character or really understand or or um, want to know the history about that character. Like, it depends, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, the second thing I was worried about is that um, we talked about where this takes place canonically in the series mm-hmm. between the original trilogy and then the newest trilogy. Um, that means they had to make references t- to a lot of different places in the Star Wars universe. And uh-huh. I was uh-huh. worried that if they do decide to make a reference, will people catch it? Will people like realize that it's there and be like, oh yeah, cool, cool, cool. Or if it's going to be something that just flies on the radar because yeah. they have to move by so fast. I mean, once again, it, it, it speaks to, well, not just Dave Filoni, but I feel like just over everyone's awareness of where this sits, mm-hmm. it being tidy, tidy and tight, yeah. where you sit in the large canon that is the Star Wars universe. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, I think they did it really well when you saw stormtroopers fly in, uh, not stormtroopers, when you saw rebel fighters fly in and I think it was episode... Five. Well, yeah, and that was the New Republic, um, so, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, you know, in made sense, you were like, oh, my God. And when you saw the um, the pilot uniform or uh, even um, when they returned to Tatooine mm-hmm. and you saw the little uh, droids that were working on Anakin's um, and other people's uh, pod racers back in episode one mm-hmm. of the prequel trilogy. Like, yeah, it was great. The references were, were great, and they, I think they, they were done really well. Yeah. Another thing, Mandalorians fly. Boba Fett, Jango Fett, they both had these jetpacks and, you know, come to, to know it's a different style of fighting. It's actually yeah. like a, yeah. a, an art to their to their um, code or their creed. But I was like, in all these small spaces, how is Mando or um, his name's um, Din, Din Djarin, mm-hmm. um, how is he going to fly anywhere? All these areas are cramped. But they they handled that. <laughs> I thought it was fine personally. Yes, mm-hmm. that he didn't that he didn't fly too often. But yes. uh, <laughs> no, I, I I agree. Like I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't need it as much as I thought I was gonna need it going into it um, yeah. because the story really 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 kept me grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last thing I would say is Star Wars is known for these huge major battles. Um, and all-out brawls, and for an eight-episode season with very, um, very uh, specific character narratives and arcs, I wasn't sure if we would get any of that. I thought that we were going to just to break up the monotony of, uh, frankly, just watching uh, gender and walk around. <laughs> So I knew we were going to get something because the major battles also help either help move us along. Mm-hmm. It acts as a phenomenal conclusion, a phenomenal like denouement of of a story. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, which I was which I was intrigued by. Um, but I thought it was going to be less of like a major battle, like what we saw in episode three. 
I thought we were going to get just like maybe a shootout between him and like Grief Karga, another character, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. I thought maybe we'll get that, but not nearly what we saw in episode three with the rest of the Mandalorians coming out of the covert mm-hmm. to help essentially ship him on his way mm-hmm. to carrying, to going to the sunset with baby Yoda. And we kind of got a few because we, we got the one in episode three that oh, you yeah. just mentioned, but we also got episode four where he prepared the villagers to fight against these uh, very true very true bandits or Mm -hmm. or whatever they were um and that was another reference with the walker yeah we got another reference yeah um and then we got you know smaller things like uh the the fight in the last episode between um the blacksmith oh yeah yeah the um armorer the armorer yes she's my favorite she was amazing I she needs her own series. She better come Can we back. Talk about I want to see her again in season two. Well, let, let's actually get into some of these on-screen performances. Okay. We have um, Grieve Karga. We have Omera, who's the farmer on Sorgon. You know, pick and choose where you want to start because we obviously thank you so much, John Favreau and everyone else. We right. have various performances to talk about. Right. So um, at least with um, um, Din Djarin, who um, is paid by uh, played by Pedro. Pascal, mm-hmm. um, the fact that you can play this character for the whole series without your face being shown, and I can still understand the emotions and everything that you're going through under that mask, and I can still see how your relationship with the child is developing, how you are changing little bit by little bit. From it just being um, one of your bounties to it being this being that you're actually caring for. And and some would say that you actually love, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Completely. It's great. Also, that I can see that you have trauma within you. You had a hard childhood. Um, some would say you didn't have a childhood. <laughs> um, and then also seeing the, the strength that you have for this creed that you've taken on Mm -hmm. and all of that without any facial expressions yeah yeah and then the one time we do get to see your facial expression it's like it's still great you know it is when you are in deep pain yeah when you're at your most vulnerable yeah is when we see your face which is an interesting take on masculinity because on one hand, it kind of, uh, it, it it plays into norms mm-hmm. around um, lack of emotionality and masculinity and lack of wanting to be vulnerable as it relates to masculinity. Mm-hmm. We kind of see this stoic mask. Right. Which, a literal mask <laughs> in <laughs> a way that right. masks um, his his pain, his trauma, his connection, emotional and otherwise, to this child that he has come to see as his own frankly, Mm -hmm. and also as his own way of uh, reclaiming something that he didn't have, which Mm -hmm. was freedom. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ever. So that's interesting. Uh, Yeah, but yeah, definitely. Come on. Come on, analysis. I hear you. That was cute. Um, (laughs) Now to go downhill with my analysis. (laughs) So, uh, I mean, I can't speak on everyone. I feel like that would be too much time. We have so many to choose. They all did so well. I really liked how grief... Um, Karga, I was like, oh, wow, black guy uh, um, right off the bat, first episode, you know, first few minutes of the episode, I was like, yes. And it's not a throwaway character. And they don't die right off the bat. Also, that they're complex. Sure, they are here just to kind of be the uh, the the fence 
mm-hmm. or the person for the the guild that that kind of leads um mando to his different missions and other people but there's com- like i said there's complexity they end up becoming a friend instead of a foe and figuring out that balance of why do why do i trust this person why should i trust this person agreed yes and then there's moff gideon and he's another one where i was very interested in what his character could be because we knew there need to be a big bad at the end of the season Mm -hmm. um and i we kind of didn't know what was gonna come yeah of this big bad who's been controlling the string since the beginning Mm -hmm. um and Moff Gideon is played by... Uh, Giancarlo. Yes, and he has played so many roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many, so many roles. And he's also, he's played a lot of good people. He's played a lot of villains. Mm-hmm. Giancarlo Esposito. Yes, yes. Yeah. And um, I think this was another fantastic, uh, to, like, role or... And performance or for performance. him. Performance, yes, that's what I was, thank you. Performance by him, um... He was absolutely great. I feel like he is interesting because I don't feel like he got enough screen time, but also we're going to see more of that in season two. Right. I That's, yeah, that was my thing. I was worried about this, the amount of screen time we were going to get with him just because he appeared so late in the series. Yeah. But, and he, but he's such a big character, obviously. Mm-hmm. But for the amount of time that he was there, he definitely made an impact. Mm-hmm. And I also loved him because uh, in... Everything that he was saying to the to the characters and people that you've grown and loved through all of these episodes. Yeah. He's basically just reading them to filth. Not in everything that he's saying. So if you haven't seen the season one yet, like, first of all, definitely go see that. If you have, join us in this moment that we're going to get into. So he reads their full government names. He's like, oh, you their government of, names. You don't know who I am, but I'm sorry. Baby. Yes. I know everything about you. I, I know you, your last name, cousin Pookie's name, your street name, right. your, your trade name. <laughs> like he literally read everyone's name as if like John begot Sam. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Read the lineage. Yes. That was what surprised me, but also that gave his character so much weight because it's, it illustrated how he holds so much power that he knows more about you than you think is out there to be consumed and to know about. And the fact that he walked around knowing that he knew. Yes, he yes. He walked around like he was the shit. Yes. Yeah, he, and, uh, the, and when the last episode came and he was bested by Mando... I know something's going to happen next season where he's just going to be like, maybe he forgets his code a little bit. Maybe he's like, screw the directions from who's ever above me. Yeah. I just want to kill this guy because he bested me. He definitely seems like that kind of character. (laughs) Yes, completely. Mm -hmm. And so to kind of uh, zoom out (laughs) of this one focus on uh, Moff Gideon and um, Din uh, and Grieve Karga, what I would say is no matter who the character was, I felt like these characters really drove the action. Everyone from Mando to even Omera, who was the farmer on uh, Sorgon, only seen for one, only on episode four, Mm -hmm. and then only seen for a a brief moment in time in the beginning and then towards the end and, you know, spots in the middle that had to deal with the possibility of, you know, the, of Mando. Mm -hmm. 
um, settling down and giving up this way of life. Yeah. Um, they were still drivers of actions. They were almost like linchpins in this being tidy, which I really loved. I feel like um, we rarely see that and we rarely see the consequences of their actions. Uh -huh. We may see them being um, drivers of action, but not necessarily the plot dealing with the consequences of that action. All that to say, both on screen, behind the screen, you have phenomenal talents from our very own community, mm -hmm. um, really guiding forth this amazing, strong story to be what it could be for season one. I cannot wait to see season two. One thing before we close out, mm -hmm. uh, Justice for IG-11. I just wanted to say that. Um, also voiced by Taika Waititi. <laughs> um, I, you were a great nurse, Joy, because I will not call you by your slave name. <laughs> um, and I, I don't think that you should have died. I am I'm here for you. I hope your central processing unit was recovered. Episode from that lava 7 pit. was called Redemption for a Reason. <laughs> Deborah Chow knew what she was doing. Was John Favreau knew what he was eight. doing. That was episode eight. No, he died in episode seven. Oh, in episode eight. Oh, that's a Taika. You're right. Mm -hmm. Never mind. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. Well, Taika, mm -hmm. I still stand for, but like Deborah Chow, mm -hmm. also love. Mm -hmm. And we um, also stand for IG Eleven because didn't have to go out like that. I mean, they did, but you knew what was coming when the episode was called Redemption, and that being the like penultimate episode to the season. You knew what was coming. Stop acting brand new. All I know is this is what happens in every <laughs> Star Wars group of characters or, or like party, if you will, if you're a and d type of person, um, there must be a droid there. And IG-11 was that droid for, for uh, Mando's party. And uh, wow, pour one out. Pour one out for IG-11. You know what? Sure. Let's, let's close this out by pouring one out for IG-11. Mm -hmm. um, as you can tell, we thought season one was cute. So definitely go and watch it. <laughs> the concision that didn't sacrifice death. Yes. Love it. Um, and overall, I think it was a really enjoyable instance of what happens when creators kind of explore this what if of their favorite properties. Mm -hmm. John Favreau mm -hmm. loved it. Loved Star Wars in particular and wanted to know what it was like to fully explore this question of what happens in the cantina, what happens in the underbelly of the Star Wars universe, what happens when the Jedi and their voluminous, magnanimous robes aren't around and goodness isn't around. They're plain as brown and white robes. Some had, well, okay, sure. But some of them had like intricate designs. <laughs> Jocasta. Jocasta, Jocasta the librarian. Like, she she works in library. She she had better <laughs> But she was giving you designs, designs. bitch. <laughs> Tim Gunn said, make it work. <laughs> and I think we're done before the culture. Oh, cool. All right. So now on to our last section. Thank you for being a friend where we talk about people, events, trends, and shenanigans that are spreading love and light during this time. God knows we need more of that to really outshine humanity's stupidity. Yes. So thank you for being a friend. This week, it goes out to Renegade Dance creator Jelia Harmon. So Jelia Harmon, you might be more... Um, familiar mm -hmm. with her renegade dance because that became more popular without her receiving credit at first on tiktok on tiktok but folks have gone back and have started to credit her so she's now getting all of her roses one of which includes the opportunity to work on film promotion for the upcoming movie scoob yes i'm super excited about this yes mm -hmm. um he is a scooby-doo stan sure is. well the the actual animal or like the 
character character the character or like the franchise like, all of it oh. all of it she says her stanhood knows no bounds a pup named scooby-doo <laughs> scooby-doo where are you um scooby-doo movies um zombie i i can go on i can go on and on and on, and on. even the theatrical releases the live action scooby-doos i am there on my what was this it was a birthday when i was before i was 10 my aunt when he was young warthog when i was a young warthog my aunt took me to um the movies to see the first Scooby-Doo movie that came out. And then after the movie, she bought me a Scooby-Doo bed set. So I had like the, the bed sheets and the pillowcases. And then she bought me the Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island movie, even though I was very afraid of it. Still. Someone was a fiend. Yeah. I, it, it's probably, it probably was not healthy. <laughs> the amount I loved Scooby-Doo. I was gonna Scooby-Doo say Scooby Doo was my dog's middle name. Very true. I was gonna say that you also probably stood uh the Redacted Queen's version of Scooby Doo. The Redacted Queen's version? Yeah. Oh, ha. Yeah, love that. Yikes! I really uh, damn it. Yes. <laughs> Continue. So as part of the young woman's work on this film's promotion, uh, she's also doing a new dance, creating a new dance called the Scoob Dance with the original music from Movies and Shakers, the creative agency behind TikToks. They're like acclaimed, uh, acclaimed, LOL. Mm -hmm. um, they're famous, popular hashtag face. Yes. All that. And the dance will be called hashtag Scoob Dance. So look out for that when it comes Figure it out with your family, your coworkers. Finally, reason to learn a TikTok dance. Yes, exactly. Yes, I'm personally a fan of the brush because all I have to do is sit there and look pretty. We'll get to that. We're point. still working on that we're last still, bit. We're still working, still working on, on, on that last bit, but you know the brush, <laughs> I got it. Yes. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And with this, this marks Harmon's first, but hopefully not last, brand partnership. Yes, first of many. Yes. All right, dear. I think we're done here. All right. Well, once again, thanks for listening, y'all. We hope you enjoyed the news, the conversation, and the rough edits. Please rate and review generously. And remember to follow us on Twitter at This Is The Ink, all lowercase, and on our Instagram at This underscore is underscore the underscore ink, also all lowercase. So share with your friends, family, and undecided. See you next time. Bye, y'all.